What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. Today, Sean and I jumped right in. We broke down the NBA Finals. Following that, we gushed about our MLB New York teams. They are both playing incredibly. And then after that, we talked golf. I would just say PGA Tour, but there is another golf league out there. We talked about that extensively, and then I gave out some picks for the U.S. Open. Follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports. I'm giving out picks there. We're tweeting out, tweeting out the link to the podcast, everything. Reply if you got anything to say, and enjoy the pod. We'll talk to you guys soon. everybody and welcome into episode 242 this is a monday rundown of the sorry to interrupt podcast we're here on the night of game five of the nba finals a lot of golf to talk about tom the two best teams in baseball reside in new york continue to just rule and uh things seem to be going pretty well man how are you how was your weekend oh it was a fun weekend man happy to be home happy to be back in the great state of i guess connecticut um I hate Jersey, but that's that's for another day. I, th- I don't think even the people that live there like him. I had a nice conversation, a nice cordial conversation with a Mets fan today. Um, he's a little more realistic than most of those Mets fans, and he was complimenting the Yankees as I was complimenting the Mets, and it was a nice powwow. Wow, that's so harmonious. We'll see if that lasts you know, through the pennant chase. He was, in, he was in an argument with a Phillies fan, and that person was delusional. Well, you know, the Philly fans are just those are those are immediate conversations that you want to get out of regarding yeah. any sport. Absolutely. It kinda of goes back to that Ben Roethlisberger has a good arm take, even though it wasn't the same person. That's kinda of how they all argue. That is still the worst thing I've ever heard as somebody asking like a serious sports question. Is he still in the league? was your first yeah. thought. I called him Follow. out on that today, and he was like, at one point, he did have a good arm. I was like, yeah, at one point, I had a good arm, too. But, yeah. you know, i 2011 <laughs> was a long time ago. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, what are we leading off with today? I think it's got to be NBA Finals, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, it's the night of Game 5. We, we have a tied series right now. And I think we got to talk game four because that's the only game that's been played since we last recorded. Yeah, look it up. Uh, and Steph went nuclear. Yeah, you know, Sean, I sent you all my bets, and I did tweet out before the game that I was telling the Sorry Sports, Sorry to Interrupt Faithful to take the Warriors alternate spread minus five and a half. You're welcome to whoever took that. But then I got a little tipsy, but my brain was still there. Decided to take (laughs) matters into my own hands. Did a sweet MLB parlay that hit. Decided to go Steph over 40 points at plus 220. I don't know why. I just had a feeling Steph was going to go off. Had the under. Had the Warriors money line tucked in with the under parlay. It was a great weekend, man. I won every single bet. And what a game. Hey, you sent me screenshots of your bets. You've been riding high, my friend. You've been really riding high. But, yeah, I mean, listen, this is the best performance all out in the finals that Steph's had. I mean, we can go back into 2015 and, you know, say he probably should have won the MVP of that finals, the oh. first one, oh. Iggy won. Come and, on. and sure, sure, he should have. But you know what? He didn't. 
he was the best player probably in that series outside of LeBron, who obviously lost that series, so you're not going to give it to him. But listen, Iguodala won it. We're not going back in history and changing. But this has just been an absolutely unbelievable stretch for him. And they need every bit of it, Tom, because the rest of this team, especially with Draymond being an Osho on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, I think he has more fouls than points in a couple of these games. Uh, you know, they need everything they're getting out of Steph, and, and he's delivering. No doubt about it. I mean, you're getting a little things here and there. Jordan Poole will go off for, you know, a quarter. I remember he did that back in, what, game two, game three. And Clay Thompson, Thompson will have his buckets. But, you know, it's not the it's not the machine that the Warriors used to be where it was Draymond set everything up and Steph was off the ball and Clay was off the ball and, and you know, Andre Iguodala contributed with his passing as well. Now it's literally Steph taking on double, triple, doesn't matter. I mean, at some point, what can you do with the guy? I guess you just got to pick him up at fucking half court with a triple team and just hope that nobody else scores the basketball. Well, that's exactly what it is. I mean, Boston's defense is obviously really good, especially when they bring Derek White in. You've got Smart. But if, if Thompson's at all a threat, and obviously Poole can do what he does, that, that does give Steph an opportunity to have games like this where he's going to explode for 40-45. Now, what's really been amazing in a couple of those stretches when Clay hasn't shot the ball that particularly well and Poole hasn't played the way that he did in the second half of game two, Steph's doing this against double and triple teams. And he's pulling up right before the defense can collapse on him and he's hoisting these 36-footers and he's draining them, drawing four-point plays. It's just been remarkable to see, man. And it's so annoying to me, and I'm sure you're going to feel the same way, like where everybody is just coming out and like, oh, my God, Steph is just incredible. It's like, where the fuck have you been? For 10 years, right? Seems like. Seriously. Almost. Yeah. I mean, Jesus. Steph's always been this. It's just Steph's such a great teammate that he, he does what he needs to do in order for the team to win the game. And back in the you know the, the finals runs that they had against those great Cav teams, I mean, it was more play off the ball and – obviously get KD the ball when he was on the team. But even before that, this offense was more of a three-point, you know, five-headed monster. Now he needs to score the ball, and look what he's doing. He's he's one of the best. He's He wins his finals. I, he might jump into the top ten ever. Yeah, I, I think that you would have to have that conversation. I hate trying to do that in the middle of yeah, the guys. especially career. on the fly, too. Like, that's something that you right. and I would have to set up in the middle of late August or July and prepare for. Yeah, and and his career wouldn't even be over yet, you know? And, and Durant's, you know, this Brooklyn thing looks really weird right now, but I don't think anybody at this time last year was thinking that the Warriors were going to be in this position after they all. lost the play-in game. So I things can this. change very quickly. And, yeah, Simmons, and Simmons brought it up on his pod. You know, if you take Wiseman and Moody and you flip him for a wing scorer or something, I, I think this team... You know, and, and listen, let's give credit where credit's due because we didn't bring up his name yet. Wiggins has been the best of his career right now. I mean, he's done everything on both sides of the ball that he needs to do and kind of just stay out of Steph's way and hit corner threes. And then defensively, he's been great. Uh, but if you got another wing player, I mean, I, I think this team would, would wrap it up already. Yeah, that's not something that Bob Meyer seems like he's interested in doing, though. You know, I, know. I think that it's... they believe in the infrastructure and that they can turn some of 
these guys into cornerstones of that transition from Steph, Clay, and Draymond to the next Warriors dynasty. And I totally see where he's coming from, and I and I get it. And part of me agrees with him, but part of me also agrees. And again, we're talking about this as the Warriors are tied two two in the finals. So what can we really say? But if they go on to lose this series and they're one piece away, you know, you can't predict the future. And it's like we we you don't want to lose a finals right then and there by missing one piece. No, I mean, I think that they would be able to fill out their roster in other ways. And yeah, I think maybe a Miles Turner right now would really help them. Oh, of course he would. Yeah, I mean, there you can obviously say that their center position, they're not getting anything out of offensively with Looney, although he does a lot of other good things. But, uh, yeah, this, this is a team that doesn't want to be the Lakers. They don't want to be one of these teams and that has a run uh, uh, that's shit dynastic. And trying to be in the third phase that we've talked about on several occasions of this dynasty and then just become a team that they've kind of been over the last few years. I know, albeit injury riddled, but, you know, basically irrelevant. And that's not how they want to operate. They want to be competitive and really good for a really long time. And we were even surprised when you wind the clocks back a year that they made both their draft picks. Yeah, no doubt about it. We were talking trade the whole time, Bradley Beal and, and others involved. And, you know, Kaminga seems to have worked out for him as well as Moody. I know they're not getting much run in the finals. The games might be too big for them. We're going to have to keep an eye on them in the offseason. But in the interim, how do we? How are we feeling about the Celtics? Yeah, I mean, Boston, they don't have the best player in the series, at least not yet. I mean, obviously – Curry career-wise is the best player in the series, but Tatum has shown in this postseason of, of dueling with Durant and Giannis and obviously Jimmy Butler that he's up for the challenge and, and trying to take that next step. He hasn't been particularly great this series. It's been more Jalen Brown. Um, they need both those guys at the same time to be really good. I don't know what Robert Williams is from game to game. I don't know what Marcus Smart is from game to game. Derek White had that great game one. What is he on a daily basis? There's a lot of question marks for them, as there is with Golden State. But to me, Tom, like I said, I, I, you and I agree on this going seven in Golden State's favor. But, you know, Boston, they they really have to work hard to win. And what's really amazing to me is they just don't win back-to-back games in the postseason. No, and, and but they do bounce back, and that's the thing that's got me. You know, I'm on a bit of a hot streak right now. That's the thing that's got me scratching my head is that, you know, everything's got me leaning Warriors here, but the Celtics don't don't lose back-to-back games in the playoffs. They don't win back-to-back or lose back-to-back games. They really like to, uh, they really like to keep ch- uh, taking turns. So heading into this game five, Tom, by the time uh, we wrap up, We'll be pretty much ready for tip-off. We're an hour away now. Um, Who are you taking in this game five? I have the Warriors, honestly. I have the Warriors, and I'm thinking, I'm looking at taking the over as well. The over is uh, 210.5. I'm thinking they're going to go over 211. And money line right now, the odds aren't that great. I might do a parlay. They're minus four. Am I going to lay that kind of juice? I'm definitely leaning Warriors. I just haven't decided yet, not to mention my FanDuel app is not verifying my fucking location, which happens every once in a while, and it really pisses me off. they got to be better about that. Um, But, I mean, I'm going to tweet out my final bet, win or lose. I'm going to own it. Um, But right now I'm leaning Warriors over, and I think I'm going to go with the money line, that little parlay there. 
Nice. All right. So if you're doing that, is this another Steph virtuoso performance, or is it going to be a little bit more balanced this time around? I think it's going to be a little bit more balanced. Role players play better at home. I think you get a good pool game. Find out what pools I can't right now because the fucking app's not working. Find out what pools over under is. Find out what Wiggins over under is, and maybe lay a little lumber on them to go over as well. I'm waiting for that Tatum breakout game. I don't know if it's coming on the road. I mean, I feel like this is a game that they have to have because you I get think... back to Boston in game six and you can close it out. I know they've closed out Miami on the road, but that felt a little different. Yeah. I think if everything goes as I assume, and I'm kind of an expert here, um, I, think that, I think that the Tatum game happens in game six at home in Boston. And I think he steps up big time. Uh, if, if everything goes as planned, if, if the lines were up now, which they're obviously not, I'd be hammering the Tatum over for the next game. There you go. All right. So I'm going to I'm gonna be right there with you. First of all, you haven't scared anybody wrong, including yourself, in a while. So I like Golden State to win this game. If they don't win, Tom, is it going to be because that balance attack didn't end up happening? Or do we get a really rare... Steph bad performance or do we just get great Boston before quarters? I think Steph's still gonna Steph's gonna go over thirty points. I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. He's he's unconscious right now and unstoppable. I think it's a great Boston team defensive performance if they do lose. And I think the I guess you would say ancillary pieces of the Golden State Warriors do not perform up to par. All right. So there you have it. We'll see what happens. Uh Obviously, our, our picks are locked in as far as the series goes, but this Game 5 is really interesting, man. I mean, a 2-2 with Golden State having home court advantage in the best best of three right now. Uh, you know, I, the one thing that I keep thinking about, man, is, is this, this NBA final schedule where you're playing with two days in between every game. You know, you're playing tonight, Game 5. They haven't played since Friday. They're going to play Thursday next, and if there's a Game 7, that'll be Sunday. So guys like Al Horford, guys like Curry, guys like Thompson, they're getting a lot of extra rest, which is really nice to see, especially after that Celtics-Miami series where, you know, it was pretty much just carnage at the end. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think it's re- obviously all the guys you mentioned, all the older guys, it's going to help them out. Um, younger guys, I think it hinders. I think the rest hinders them if they're hot, you know. Like a guy like Jordan Poole, the space between Game 2 and Game 3, I think that really hurt him. But... Again, it's going to help out the old guys, and they're the ones who are going to make the biggest impact. So, I mean, I'm Sean. I, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I'm I'm enjoying the series, but I'm also ready to move on to the off season. We got a pod, I think, tomorrow with Mike Phillips. We're probably going to talk finals, but we're also going to talk NBA draft, which happens right around the corner. I'm ready to look forward to football and baseball. It's been a long run. <laughs> I know, man. I especially with teams like ours, you know, like I know the Knicks and whatever the hell they end up I mean, doing. Shit. But when was the last time the Knicks played a game? It feels like a full season ago. Yeah, it really does. It was, I think, the beginning of April, right? And, you know, this Nets offseason, who knows what the fuck's going to happen. But that's the exciting thing about this year is last year we were so happy that we had that weird schedule where the finals went into July because our baseball team was not very good and we were like, oh, fuck. But this time around, it is definitely uh, – it's then it, I'm with you. I'm, I'm ready to move on. Uh, although the series has been great. Um, last piece of NBA here, Tom. The Hornets fired my former head coach, Kenny Atkinson. He's back. Good for him. He's been with the Warriors the last 
couple years as the, as one of the uh, main assistants under Kerr. What did you think about this hire for Charlotte? I thought it was a really good one. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but I think he's a really good coach. Awesome team builder. I think he's going to be amazing for Leangelo Ball, given what he did for D'Angelo Russell, turning him into an all-star there. And, and uh, not Leangelo, Lamelo is ten times the player that D'Angelo Russell is. I really like the move. I think I don't think he's a championship coach, or maybe the Nets just didn't think that. Maybe he's kind of reminds me of a Buck Walter. although, I mean, we're going to talk about the Mets later. But up until this point in his career, he was kind of the guy right before the championship, and I think that's kind of what the Hornets need right now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, I don't want to totally label him with that yet because he was never truly given the chance because Irving and, and Durant, even though Durant wasn't playing, that was his year out with the Achilles. Basically, the culture was like, okay, we don't really want to have this disciplinary and who's yelling at us in practice. Uh, things are a little different when you have superstars there. Um, so I'm hoping that he has that great balance where he can kind of take what's already been built in Charlotte and make it better and also have a chance to compete because, you know, it's to no favor of him, the Eastern Conference is obviously real stacked. Yeah, absolutely. The Eastern Conference has really flipped the script on the West, and they might be getting better with what's going on in Utah and whatnot, but we'll save that for the offseason. Um, you ready to move on to some MLB? Of course I am. This is a fun time to talk MLB, and again, no say doubt. this every pod, we will do a full baseball talk once the NBA cools down, but Everybody we're not relax. there yet. You got till Sunday, exactly. and then Sean and I are going to jump right in. I mean, right after the 100%. NBA draft. <laughs> We were going to start with the New York Yankees, Tom. The New York fucking Yankees, Tom. Yeah. 44 and 16. They beat the absolute living piss out of the Chicago Cubs the last two games. Aaron Judge is a man possessed. John Carl Stanton's hitting home runs harder than I've ever seen a ball hit in my life. The starting pitching continues to be nails. The bullpen continues to be great. And this team is 44 and 16, about to embark on a tough stretch. We'll talk about that in a minute. But between Matt Carpenter and Stanton and Judge and just Glaber's I mean, heat up the Sean. other night, Glaber is has has had a couple of home runs in, in back to back games. You had fucking Hicks and Gallo be the leaders in a comeback win in the game in which Garrett Cole got absolutely whacked last week. I mean, everything is just turning up roses right now for our New York Yankees. It doesn't mean we're not gonna keep tempering expectations, but if you're not excited now, I just don't know when the fuck you can be. It's fucking hard to temper expectations now, Sean. Let me tell you, especially and the offense, especially the key guys that you named, and you didn't say Rizzo, but I'm going to obviously throw him in there as well. Oh, yeah. Um, they've been great, but I, I, I want to give all the love, all the love I can muster to this starting pitching. I mean, the bullpen's been great as well, but I just want to focus for a second on this starting pitching. The fact that la- if last year, if, Jer- if Garrett Cole coughed up a couple stinkers, we'd be on a fucking seven-game skid. But, I mean, Nestor Cortez is, obviously we've mentioned him a little bit earlier, but Jordan Montgomery, I mean, they said on the Fox broadcast a couple days ago, the guy has got the longest, or, or he's up there for the longest streak in Yankee and and some and maybe MLB history with you know consecutive starts to start a season without giving up three run, more than three runs that's incredible. I know, and he doesn't get aside from Saturday. He doesn't get any goddamn run support. But no. yeah, I mean, Tom, look at this stretch though, right? Like we're coming off doing the pod last week where they pretty much were untouchable. 
they had three pretty rough starts in Minnesota. I mean, Tyon wasn't great in his game. The Yankees won that game. Cortez wasn't very good in the second game. The Yankees lost that game. And obviously, Cole was horrendous in the third game. The Yankees came back. But you look at Friday night, Severino, his second straight start with 10 Ks and going seven innings. That's unreal. You got Montgomery, like you said, on Saturday. And I don't want to hear any shit about how the Yankees need to be tested more. These are the kind of games and series that they didn't win last year. They never swept teams. They laid down. And they're not only sweeping teams. They're out for blood in these third games, acting like it's the same sense of urgency that it would be, you know, game one of a playoff series. I love it. Absolutely, man. And, And looking ahead for the Yankees and the Mets, I just think there's a few small moves that they have to make. And, you know, last year I predicted Rizzo, and I've started to lock my eyes on a few guys. Um, again, who are we looking at, Tom? Who are we, we looking at? We got to have Will Smith on the pod to let him have his flowers. Wilson Contreras, I don't think he'll be on the Cubs much longer. I, I'm hoping he's in pinstripes. Although, what's his name? Trevino has been been great, but I mean, I, I don't think that's sustainable. Um, not to mention, Contreras is is you know a Gold Glove backstop. And the other guy I'm looking at, Sean, and listen, it takes some moving around, and it, and it'd be. It'd be tough given Gallo and Hicks, but I got my eye on Cedric Mullins in Baltimore as well. It's also a division trade, but I mean, a guy that just the Yankees, just the type of player that I feel like would just really put this team over the top. Incredible defensive center fielder, hits for a little bit of pop. You stick him in that leadoff spot or wherever the hell you want. I don't care. And he also can steal you a few bags, which is honestly the one thing that the Yankees really kind of lack. Well, they don't lack it as much as they have in the past, uh, but you're right. Obviously, he's an elite base stealer. Uh, his, that that name would very much excite me, but you do know that they'll have to pay A, the Yankee tax, and B, they're paying all of those players in division. Yep, I know. I know. I mean, it's him, and I, I got to look out at the market a little bit more. Maybe Chicago's got another guy that they can give up. You got to look in. You got to look at Colorado. You got to look at Arizona. Maybe there's. Maybe we can steal a Ketel Marte because he's been having a down type year, and he's switched from shortstop to center field. Get him for nothing, and then you could pencil him in for center field for the next couple of years. I've been thinking about this, you know, really over the course of the month, and it's not meaning that I'm, you know. The best thing that Gallo and Hicks have going for them is the Yankees continue to win. So they can struggle, they can hear the boos, but at the end of the day, they're usually shaking hands and giving high fives at the end of a ball game. But I don't think Joey Gallo is on this team past the trade deadline. I really don't. I think Cashman understands what he is. You already see him batting ninth now. And I'm looking at a guy like Andrew Benintendi from Kansas City. And he is a better version of Joey Gallo in the sense where he's going to put the ball in play a lot more. He's got that power. He's he's won a World Series in Boston. Much, just a better player, period. He's just as good of a yeah. fielder, and he can hit 280. He's not quite as good of a fielder, but he is a good yeah. fielder. And yeah. the 280 to, to 300, listen, we see what happens in the postseason time. You, you need guys that put the bat on the ball in big spots. And, yes, mm-hmm. Gallo's had some big games of late. But you just, even in those games where he hits the home runs, you know, he comes up with bases loaded. You just know he's not going to do anything. He's not hitting sacks wise. He's not moving runners over. It's a strikeout or maybe a, maybe he hits one out of the ballpark. But yep. Ben Intendi is on my mind. I'm looking in Chicago, having watched some of these series or watching this past series, dude. 
They're doing a third reunion with David Robertson. He threw the ball pretty well the other night. Yeah. And the Cubs are not going to you – know, he's on a one-year deal. Uh, I think he's going to be a pretty decent commodity. I, I would love to see the Yankees bring him back. No, I agree. Listen, if, if it's – if it, it, it's a it's a win win for them. I mean, if he doesn't pitch well, I'll see you later. If he does, that's gravy. I love that. I, I really do. And I, and I think honestly, with Gallo and whatnot, you're not going to get anything for him. But it might be an addition by subtraction type thing, really. And and I do love Benintendi because much to your point, when you get to the playoffs. And shit gets tight. The home runs and the pitching elevates and the home runs go away. And that's when you really need a guy to hit that single the other way, steal the bag, and then, you know, kind of like a Ricky rally where, you know, the guy either gets a walk or gets on first and then he scores without even a hit happening. Totally, man. And you could bat him at a lot of different points in the lineup, too. I think he's going to be in pretty high demand because I don't think the market's going to be particularly robust. Um, at this deadline because you have teams that are either trying to hold on to their really good players. Like I know he's having a down year, but Marte is still going to cost you an arm and a leg. And, and yeah. even Brian Reynolds in Pittsburgh, that's going to cost because they're under control for so long that they're going to, you know, continue to play them to recoup their, to recoup, obviously some that's of their just value. A name. I mean, I got, I got others. I mean, I like that Ramon Liriano out of Oakland. I think he's, yep. I think he's better. He's a better fielder than Hicks at this point, and obviously a better hitter than both of them. I mean, there's a few others, you know. There's a few things that we need to talk about in regard to the Yankees before we shift to the Mets that's a little bit more in-depth than what we've given a talk about so far. And I think one is Aaron Judge becoming the exclusive center fielder for the Yankees. Now, if you go get Benintendi, he probably stays that way. Or you could bring up a guy like Tim DeCastro and say, listen, you'll be our primary center fielder. I don't think you're trading Hicks. But if you say we're going to platoon Judge, Stanton, Hicks, and then have Benintendi and LeCastro, that's a good defensive outfield for the majority of the games. And then also you can say, you know, if we want to go make center field our priority so Judge doesn't have to play center, that's where a guy like Loriano steps in. But yeah. Judge playing center field every day, dude, does scare me a little bit. I don't. 100%. I wonder what you think about that. I'm in total agreement. I mean, he is having – Obviously, he's having the best year of his career, even including his rookie year. He's having he's probably first in MVP votes right now, um, and I mean, it's it's tough. You put more miles on him in center field; it's a tougher position, and then you got to turn around and pay the guy. Oh my God, the amount of money he's he's earning himself right now. It's insane. And again, I think I said on the earlier pod, let's get a sports psychologist in there. We'll sign him to the deal, but then we'll just make <laughs> him think that he's on a one that he's that he's on uh, the last year of his contract every time. Yeah, I mean, listen, his his only issues have ever been staying healthy, and a couple of those injuries were very fluke injuries to no fault of his mm-hmm. own. Uh, but still, you know, you you miss a chunk of time for four consecutive seasons. That's going to, no matter what the circumstance of the injury is, it's going to it's gonna concern you a bit. And then, Tom, we got to talk about Matt Carpenter. I mean, this is a guy that was a perennial all-star type player in St. Louis. He loses his swing. They just cut bait with him. He goes to Texas. He's on a minor league deal. The Yankees just continue to purge from the Rangers organization. And he has six hits as a Yankee. And there are eight hits as a Yankee, and six of them were home runs. Yeah, I mean, 
talk about he you know what's funny is he is what gallo the yankee fans and the experts and whatever were salivating about from the plate oh man that short porch it's going to be so great for gallo well carpenter is better he's probably got as many home runs as gallo and as a yankee and he's been on the team for fucking 10 minutes he is yeah, what he already wanted has more gallo to be he already has more home runs than donaldson by one and yeah, he's like I think Gallo has nine or ten, and he has six. It's amazing, and that's over done. two seasons, by the way, ladies and gents. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, uh, but dude, you, I mean, you've got to give one of your sports fathers here. I know 100%. you've had a tough relationship with him, but this is this is unbelievable. No, I give him all the credit in the world for a lot of the moves that you know people don't people talk about the Stanton move, which, by the way, we will defend every day. If you're not defending that now, especially with how the contract looks compared to some other deals that have been signed since then, you're an idiot. A hundred. Thank you. That's all that needs to be said. But you know, there's a lot of undercover moves that he makes that don't get credit around baseball and don't get credit around a lot of Yankee fans either. I mean, looking back to even when he went out and he got Gio Urshela, which clearly that was an all-time poll to turn into Josh Donaldson. I mean, this year alone, you get Nestor Cortez, pull him out of nowhere. I mean, I know he's a former Yankee, but he's spinning gems. Well, he they, he was he was really – they brought him back last year, and, and really since July of last year, he's been the best pitcher on the team. Yeah, I mean, IKF has been incredible defensively. He's really cleaned up a lot of messes over there. I mean, everything, it seems like all the pieces that are the big splashes that he goes out and does, the Sonny Grays and and whatnot, are, are never work out. But when it comes to the deals that comes off your Bleacher Report and you're like, oh, that might be interesting, or oh, I don't care, those turn to gold. You know, he's always done a great job of, of finding guys that have value that other teams either – don't don't see or they're prioritizing younger players so they're not going to bring in guys like this and i just look at the depth on this team compared to some of the years past mm-hmm. i mean you know obviously my biggest complaint with cashman is probably he has his guys right he has guys like andahar and fraser fraser just got dfa'd by chicago michaela uh, hates fraser with a burning passion yeah, I mean, he, he obviously never really bought into him, and he's She's never really totally him. bought in into Andahar. But he's super, super loyal to guys like Hicks, I which know. is frustrating to fans because it's like, how long do you have to ride with these guys? Sometimes you are going to make mistakes. But where he yeah. really makes his earning as a top GM in this league is with guys under the radar, like you mentioned, the Urshelas of the world that you get for cash considerations. But, Tom, I just look at this bench. You bring in a Marwin Gonzalez who can play every position on the field and play it well. Switch hitter, he's a pro. You bring in a guy like Tim LeCastro for his speed and his defense, what sparked this huge run that the Yankees are on was bringing him in late in games and him stealing a bag or two and playing great defense, you know, with games late in, you know, with it late in games and they're trying to hold on to a lead. You bring in bullpen guys like a Wandy Peralta for Talkman, which we didn't love at the time. Talkman's playing in Japan right now, and Peralta's been a steadying force in the bullpen. Litke's been good for two years. And then you find a guy like Carpenter. I mean, this team, plus having the catching tandem of Trevino and Higgy, who, okay, fine, maybe they're not going to bring you a lot of offense, but if the rest of the team hits, these guys are, these are two of the best defensive catchers in the game. 
No I mean, doubt. these are all people that he's just kind of found and plugged in. And you look at the depth, there's really the only weaknesses on this team are Gallo and Hicks. And the only reason those guys are true, you know, they're, they're glaring holes is because they play every day. Absolutely. And they, they that's the only complaint I have really about him is his quote-unquote guys as well, where he, they just get a longer leash than, than they really should. Yeah, and he tries to justify trades. You know, he did give up a decent amount of talent for a guy like Gallo. You know, but is it really that, though? I mean, he gave up a lot of prospects, but a lot of those guys were never going to see the light of day in New York. And it just so happens that four of them are playing on Texas's major league team right now, which doesn't look great when Gallo continues to strike out. But you got to eat it. It's fine. There were a lot of teams that wanted Gallo. Yeah, absolutely. You ready to move on to the Mets, or you got anything else? No, that's all. Unless you had anything else, I'm ready to talk your New York Mets. No, no, no. I, I, I'm ready to go, man. I'm, I'm the Yankees. I, I'm over the moon. What else can you say? That's been great. It's been absolutely awesome. No doubt. All right, moving on to the Mets. These fans got to be over the moon as well. They, I still think what they have the second best record in baseball. Yeah. Uh, and, and, they got their 40th one last night. And they, they're doing it to, you know, with a, a half. I mean, they're, the two best pitchers in baseball are not are on the Mets, and they're not even playing. Yep. I, I, what else do you really have to say? I mean, Bassett's kind of fallen off, given the, I guess, ace role. Um, but he still was a hell of a pickup, in my opinion. I think he'll go back to form. But, I mean, on this road trip that they went on, just the fact that they went 500 – when, you know, you got Lindor, who slams his hand in a door. He can't play a game, and he's got fractured fingers. Alonzo sat out a game, and Marte sat out a game. And still, they end up going 500. I mean, the signings that they made, we can't talk enough about them. And their pitchers are really stepping up when it comes to Walker and, and Carrasco and McGill. I mean, I've got an eye on somebody for them that I think would be absolutely perfect. And Who's that, that? That is Frankie Montas in Oakland. Oh, there you go. I think he would be just really shore up that pitching staff if if uh, one of your two big horses in the Grom or Scherzer need to skip a start or whatever, you can go to a six-man rotation. I think their lineup is pretty sure and solid. I think they just need to get one more starter in there and then maybe one more sleeper bullpen guy, and they're golden. Well, they've gone to the Oakland. Uh, they've gone to the Oakland roster a couple of times. Obviously, Cano was a free agent, but they liked him. Marte Bassett. was a free agent, but they liked him, and obviously made the trade for Bassett. So that's a really good call by you. And I think Montes would really help there because if you do end up solidifying a playoff spot relatively early, or maybe have a really nice command on the division, it, putting him out there would really take the pressure off of DeGrom and Scherzer to you know, be pitching seven innings a game you know, down the stretch. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. I I can't... I They need to make one move, and it's small moves. You know what I mean? The Yankees and them, they need to make one or two moves and they're, and they're golden. And obviously that's all contingent upon injuries. You know, both teams yeah. have had but some that injury without scares. Saying, you know? Yeah, you're right. I just wanted to clear that up because, you know, one we know in baseball, one week everything can look great, and the next week you're, you're all-star shortstop slamming his finger in a door. Um, 
it, it, it happens really fast. But I agree with you. And Tom, I, I think this Buck Showalter whole situation has just, just been so nice. Now, we're Yankee fans, although have you, I, I have some questions about something. Uh, here we go. Mets. But, like, I understand Mets fans, just it's in their DNA to worry and be concerned and, and make comparisons to previous years that they've gotten off to good starts. I just don't see it this year. This team's too good, and Showalter's too steadying of a presence. This it's is a word that, that in previous years, Tom, they would have gone, you know, three and eight. And to go 500, like you said, that, I think that's just a huge, huge testament to this team. No doubt about it. It's just, it's a totally different season, different vibe, different feel. I, um, I really have to just give so much credit to honestly like the culture that they've built with the ad with the additions that they brought in you know canna Marte, obviously we saw Lindor, but getting rid of guys like Baez and some other some other players on that team that you know i think were very instrumental in the demise of this mets team last year i think they had the talent to to still be in it towards the end that collapse was i really think indicative of more of the culture that that team had. And this team, obviously, on the opposite side, you know, they're, they're just much more professional. And I think over the course of 162 through the ebbs and flows, you're just going to be much more steady. And the teams that are kind of really up and down, those are the teams that struggle the most. No doubt about it. Um, I mean, baseball is back to being fun in New York, so it doesn't get much better. No, it's got to be fun up there, man. Oh, it is. It got hot up here, but it's definitely getting fun. I don't want to hear it. No, you know what? I feel like I have the green light to complain because <laughs> you don't. You only can complain during the hot. I get to complain twice. <laughs> That's the that thing. is fair. That it's, is fair. It's unreal how cold it gets here, and then it turns around, and it's just as fucking hot as Texas or anywhere else for two, two three months out of the year. It's insane. Did it hit 108 there this weekend? No, but we did hit we did hit high 90s, and it's humid as yeah, hell that is here. Hot. How no, that humid is hot. as hell today? I actually listen before we move on to golf. I, I, you know, I like to shit on companies. I got to give a little bit of credit. I was dying, and I was like, "How am I going to do this podcast in the guest room?" Because we don't have AC in the guest room, and I bought one of these little. Uh, I forgot what the hell it's called. Let me get the name. It's called Arctic <laughs> Air. Um, okay. and it's, it's an evaporative, it's basically a mist fan, but you put ice water in it and it just blows the cool air on you and, you know, mixed reviews, but I think the people that gave it bad reviews were idiots because they thought it was actually going to turn into an air conditioner and, you know, cool the whole room. And it's like, there's kind of a reason why this is 40 bucks and a good air conditioner is, you know, 350 dollars probably because the other one actually cools the whole room and works better but this one i mean i'm in the guest room right now my office as i like to call it and i'm comfortable i'm not dying and if i didn't have this thing it'd probably be a hell of a lot hotter so i gotta give a shout out to them there you go that definitely has to feel nice yeah that it really does get humid up there talking to people down here like oh connecticut it can't be that bad and so I'm like listen especially in the track when you're closer to new york Oh, it gets hot, baby. We know. It's not even the hot. It's the dry. It's the it's, wet heat. Excuse me. It's not yeah. a dry heat. So no. it's like, it's like you know, 
if you don't have air conditioning, and obviously we don't have air conditioning in the bathroom, and I grew up as a child of central air. I was truly blessed. Um, but you get out of the shower, and you can't tell. You're soaking wet. You can't tell if it's water or if you're sweating already. Yeah. I always remember, like, leaving work up there in, like, July or August, and I take one step outside, and my sunglasses were immediately fogged. Yeah, you just get smacked in the face with it, and you feel like you just sat in a steam room for, for yeah. an hour. It's insane. Is it that? Is it like? It's not like that down there, right? It's not like that in Austin, uh, in Central Texas. In Houston, apparently, it's just the worst. It's, well, it's just very, very to humid. The, closer to the, the Gulf. Coast. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in Austin, like honestly, I make this uh, I make this analogy all the time. It's like literally like you're walking into an oven. Mm, like it's not, that's not fun either. It's, it's, it's not humid, but it's just fucking hot. Like mm. I walk maybe a hundred yards from um, the door to my car at work. And I'm just like, I'm immediately soaked. I've been looking at so, some, uh, I've been looking at so some real hot. estate down in Texas, man. That cost of living down there is something else. It's, I could, I could be a, I could own a mansion right now. Well, not in Austin no, or in not the city in limits, but <laughs> now it's like, I remember when I was moving here, I was like, oh, it's going to be so nice. The cost of living is so much better than it is in Fairfield County. I'll actually be able to start saving some money. And within two years, it's like basically Fairfield County prices now for apartments. It's like, ah, oh, shit. I know, so, I know. But I mean, some of the these cities like Sugarland, which is right outside, like an hour outside of Houston, Houston is, yeah. is, I mean... It's like you can get a five-bedroom house for like 350k. I'm looking at Michaela. Cool. Like, I mean, listen, honestly, I've never really lived anywhere else. I mean, I went to college in Queens, all that stuff. But I just don't think you can beat living in this area, especially in the warm weather. But I don't know. At some point, what you know, too much is too much. Yeah, I mean, listen for for like three and a half, four months out of the year. I think that area is about as pristine and nice as it gets. Because you've got the coast, you've got, you know, it's just beautiful. And then especially come fall time, but it's is gorgeous. it worth? Is it worth you know nine hundred thousand dollars for a two bedroom, you know, townhouse that has appliances from nineteen eighty and it's still because people will fucking pay that right now. Of course they will, and in my opinion, no. And also dealing with four months of snow and cold obviously i made the decision to get the hell out because i just couldn't continue to do that yeah there's like not even a point for you to have a subaru anymore no although it is uh it is nice for like yeah and it's nice for the couple of ice storms that we get a year you know it's like nobody else can go anywhere but i can so that's kind of nice yeah and it's really big in the in the lgbtq community too so you fit in good there Thanks. Shout out to them. Shout um, out to them. It is their month. It is their month. Um, all right, Tom. That's anything else? No, we'll get to the rest of the bullshit at the end. Um, let's talk. <laughs> let's let's live, man. Let's talk some live golf before we jump oh, into the PGA. Um, all right, this is your this is your time to shine, man. What do you think? First of all, I just really want to put it into perspective for some people that don't follow golf as well. Um, and I tried to do that for you, for you as well. Okay, mm-hmm. so the so the Masters winner this past year, which was Scotty Scheffler, the purse for the Masters, the winner was two point seven million dollars. That's 
if even if you loosely know golf, you know what the Masters is. Obviously, it's the most popular tournament. Uh, everybody knows what the Masters is. This random first kickoff live golf tournament that probably nobody knew about. And I don't know if you watched any holes, Sean. I probably watched about, I'd say, three holes total on my YouTube. I texted you. I was I was getting. A, I saw a lot of it on Twitter. So I was seeing like I watched a lot of videos. That's more than like enough. snippets of the call. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't settling in on um, YouTube, but I saw a decent amount. So. Charles Swartzel, who won the first event, even though it's a team event, he had the the low weekend. He was first of all, he was only minus seven, um, which you know, in a PGA Tour event, that's that's nothing. Even in a even in a major, unless it's a really hard course, that's really not much to shake a stick at. He won four point seven five million dollars for this tournament. Yeah, that's a nice that's a nice chunk of change. For this tournament, I mean, is that does that not make you speechless? Not to mention, he's also on salary. I don't know what what he got as as to sign with these people. Yeah, I mean, that's why that is why players are going over to this league. I don't understand what is so hard to understand about that. For well, people. I'm going to give you a little more perspective that will make it even more sense why these guys are traveling over this league. Andy Ogletree, he shot. I've never heard of. Him. He finished DFL, meaning dead fucking last, plus 24. <laughs> he shot an 82, a 77, and a 75. Sean, an 82. I mean, honestly, if you gave me a caddy and my swing was on that day, I could probably, at that, that course, I could probably shoot like an 84, and if everything breaks my way, maybe I even shoot lower than an 82. My dad told me he shot an eighty for the first time ever the other day. Well, so congratulations to him. As a as a as a fellow golfer, I know how big of a deal that is. That's awesome, and he's welcome on the pod anytime if he wants to talk about oh, yeah. his round win. What course was it at? Anywhere, anywhere I would know. Uh, old Barnstable Club in uh, in in um, Cape Cod. Well, good for him. That's that's fucking awesome. But back to my point. Oh, by the way, your dad shot an 80. Did he make $120,000 for shooting a fucking... He did not. That's the only reason I brought it up. 24. I mean... He did better than Schwarzel. Well, no. Schwarzel won. He did better than Ogletree, but still... Oh, Ogletree. That's what I mean. The point remains, if you finish DFL, you have to pay to basically get into the tournament unless you have an exemption, I believe, in the PGA Tour. Not that it's that much for these guys, but this guy got paid $120,000 to finish DFL in this stupid fucking tournament. But with that being said, that's why I think this is true competition to any league, any golf league out there, the PGA Tour being the dominant one. Because, I mean, when you're spending stupid money, what does it matter? You, it, This is not a business. This is just, I don't even know what it is. It's a competition to the PGA. It is, but unfortunately, the PGA is going to have to figure it the fuck out, and they may have to reclassify themselves as as not a not for profit because and pay their best players under contract what they're deserving of. Because, I mean, 120k to finish DFL, 4.75 million, nearly double the most famous tournament and one of the highest prices. Exactly. And, and Sean, I did watch it. The golf was, I think the golf's going to get better because better players are going to come over. They're going to have to, if these, if these checks are cashing, which I don't see why they wouldn't be because these guys would be high tailing it out of there. If they were allowed to, by the way, this is the Saudi government. 
I mean, better players are going to come over, and this is going to be the worst golf we're going to see. And, yes, the team names, the Stingers and the Crushers and the Majestics and the fucking and the fucking fireballs are are terrible names and i'm sure they'll figure that out and their logos look like it's from fucking microsoft office 2004 clip art but you know what the money's real (laughs) and the players are going to be real soon too and i have to give credit to the broadcast you know i like i said they bootstrapped it but they had some good camera angles for youtube and they had real deal broadcasters on there as well yeah, didn't they have like one of the soccer guys from the Premier League doing the? I believe they did, and then they had a very familiar name from I believe he must do something on TBS as well. I mean, they they what? got some real names. Who? What team are it you for, by the way? What's what's your team? I I couldn't tell you. Um, um, I'm gonna make. I think you're a Fireballs fan. Yeah, I know All you've right. always had. I know you've had, always had deep love for scumbag Sergio Garcia. Um. I'm gonna go ahead. And, I'm gonna go ahead and be Team Niblix just because all, it's an ode. It's an ode to a classic. All right, there you go. The only thing I really, the first time I ever really heard of Sergio was when he made that comment about Tiger. He's like, you can come over and have fried chicken or something. Like, yeah, that, that's no good. Shit. No, not good at all. Um, but dude, like they're in the trial stage of this. This is their first tournament. They're in the process of they're just trying. And since we like last recorded. They brought over Bryson, and they brought over somebody else, too, you texted me about. Ricky Fowler. So, yeah, so, I mean, listen, he's a name. He hasn't been particularly good in a long time, but it's another name that they can use to brand. And that is what it is. It's about getting the highest quality players into this league and abandoning the PGA. So once you do that, all the other stuff, though, and you know, like, I'm looking at a guy like, like Murdoch, who owns Fox. This guy understands sports and he understands the command for international sports to be broadcast in prime time. And shit, man, he's part of uh, Fox that's partnered with NBC to put the USFL on. That doesn't get any fans at all. That league is completely backed by television. I'm looking at a guy like him to say, listen, I think Fox only has the US open as far as uh, as far as major tournaments. We're gonna start we're gonna make a deal with, with the with the live uh, league and start putting them on there. Once they get a better broadcast that's on mainstream cable television or one of the top streaming services, they're going to be fine, and they're going to play some good courses. They're getting the players. That's what matters. And the PGA, the commissioner, is really doing a shit job with this, acting like it's nothing, continuing to double down on saying these players are banned. They're not going to be banned. It's not going to hold up in court. So he's just digging himself a great uh, grave, in my opinion, particularly when Phil, Bryson, and all these guys are going to be playing in the U.S. Open in a couple of days. John, I, I got nothing else to say about that. I mean, you summed it up perfectly. You're a golf expert. Look at me. I'm Look proud at of me. You. I'm proud of you. Listen, really I, had a, I, had, I, had to, I had to take a page out of your playbook. You, you really dominated college football last year, and I'm looking hey, forward to another good season from you. Successful year of spring ball. I'm getting excited. There we go. But, yeah, what do you take out of the uh, – uh, I mean, if there's anything else you want to talk about with the live, but you, I'm sure you've got a lot to talk about with Rory winning in Canada, right? Yeah, I mean, he absolutely dominated. I mean, what what else is there really to say? Uh, he, he won it. Uh, it seemed like wire to wire, and that final group was like the only thing that was – that 
that was like the competition to live golf was the fact that it was Finau, JT, and Rory, and they all played incredibly well. The only thing I will say is, you know, I don't think I don't think Rory gets it done this week because he got it done last week, and I know that's a dumb thing to say, but you know, I'm I might have to cut off my nose to spite my face on this one or whatever, and just watch him watch him win it. And I'm not betting on him; he's not in my foursome. <laughs> We're gonna get your foursome in a minute, but um, how do you like Rory's not so subtle shot at Greg Norman? I mean, Rory is like the face of golf right now and i do love it and the thing is greg norman tried to do this back in the day when he was like i'm an independent contractor he's been trying to do this forever um i i just think greg norman's a a fucking old man and he's and he's (laughs) he's just delusional i mean he hasn't uh, i don't know if he ever came for money or whatnot or he's from nothing or he's from nothing don't care he's been rich for too long and he's just fucking delusional when you're that rich for that long, I mean, it gets to a point where, like, real-world issues and, and normal people problems just, I don't think, get in your way. That's why I think a, a president that is, is a billionaire on paper or whatever makes a hell of a lot of sense. On paper, I say, because we don't know how much money he actually has. He won't do his taxes. No, we know that. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, I thought it was very cool that, you know, and—, and kind of like really well synced up that Rory won on the same weekend that the live got started because he's been so outspoken about how he won't do it and you know how the PGA needs to get better and find a way to keep guys and how he's you're not going to sell, sell his soul for money and all that and listen like I, I, I look at it two ways and I'm sure you'll agree and you can you know feel free to contribute it you know your thoughts if it's anything extra but like I don't blame these players for going over and "Quote unquote," selling their souls for money. You know, we, the, the U.S. government. We talked about this last week. The U.S. government does deals with the Saudis all the time and with China all the time. Like, fine, go get your bag, capitalize on as much money as you can. But I also give Rory a lot of credit for deciding that he's going to draw that line in the sand and he's not going to be a part of it. Here's here's what pisses me off. Okay, is that. These players think and treat the fans like they're fucking MLB, like they're Brian Cashman, and talk to us like we're stupid. When all you got to do for me personally is say, listen, it's life-changing money. I'm going to be able to set my family up for generations, and, and that's why I'm doing it. This whole grow-the-game bullshit and whatever else that they're all using, those those funny excuses... We can see right through it. If, if, if honestly, I would respect someone so much more if they came on and they were just honest and said what I just said. You don't have to say, oh, it's for the money. You could say, like, listen, if, if, if you, if I got, Sean, if I got offered a job from a company that did some sketchy shit or whatever, but offered me, you know, 10x my salary that I was making on on at my current job and I also you know had way more job security because it's a guaranteed contract and all and I and if I get injured or whatever and this that and the third don't you think I'd think about it I'm sure you would too yeah everybody would and, and you you raise and such a people great need point. to get off their fucking high horse about it and just call it like it is that's the only reason why I have a gripe with it go ahead Sean, no you no, no, that that was that was really well put, and and it's not even like the Cashmans of the world saying it. It's more the players, you know. When 
players make free agency decisions. It's like, oh, you know, I just always saw myself here. It's like, you saw yourself there once they gave you the largest contract out of every other team. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of what I loved about Tyree Kills, like, saying, like, yeah, I had the choice between the Jets and Miami, and I wanted to be in Miami. Like, okay, like, I don't I don't know how anybody could blame you for that. And like you said, like, don't treat us like we're idiots. You know, it's always nice to hear that you were the preferred destination from another team. And it's like, listen, when the Nets got Kyrie and, and KD, a major part of that was because Kyrie wanted to play near home and he didn't want to be a Nick. That's why he chose the Nets. He didn't chose the Nets because they were going to give him the max. Every team was going to give him the max at that point. You know, it's like, that that's all we want to hear, dude. Just be honest with us. So you're, t- you're totally right. Yeah, and I, I don't need you to be so blunt with it that it was about the money, but a, but a well-thought-out answer, you know, bringing up your family, you know, a little tear-jerker yeah. there, whatever, just fucking say it. It's about the money. I don't care about your reason. You could be greedy, whatever, but, like, Bryson and, and all this shit grow the game. It's like, bro, uh, are you kidding me? Like, you, you said you found God and all this shit? Well, I mean, come on. I could pick that apart in two seconds. It's Well, and you know what they do is they they, they – unknowingly, and this is where their PR people, their agents need to do a much better job of getting a handle on them because they back themselves into corners where eventually they're just going to completely contradict what they say. It's like, oh, I, I thought that you were doing this to grow the game. So, well, no, you know, getting paid $220 million on salary uh, also is a big reason why. It's like, why don't you just fucking say that? would have saved all of us a lot of time. Yep, absolutely. It, it's that's the only thing that pisses me off about these players is the whole quote unquote grow the game thing. When first of all, we know it's not true, and second of all, you're actually doing the opposite because you're diluting the pool, and now the competition's not going to be as good. So, honestly, in in the P, in in professional sports, very specifically, competition in this day and age in 2022, not in 19. 19- 40 or whatever when we had you know the MLB the AL and the NL merged together and the NFL the AFC and the NFC and basketball and so on so forth it's not good right now and, and it just creates two shitty products instead of one excellent one but you know what if you look back at those times and obviously they've all happened at various times in history but the commissioner of the older league of the more solidified always looked at it as an opportunity to make sure that the product was at its best. Yeah. You know, going back to baseball where the commissioner of the national league was like, okay, fine. We'll partner with the American league and we'll have a world series to decide who the best league is. The NFL, Pete Rizal did that, you know, after the AFL was honestly at some time a little bit more fun of a league. They had, the, they had much more of the forward pass in, it was a lot more, you know, there were ideas that helped grow the NFL. Your Jets were the first champions of that. They beat the Baltimore Colts, where nobody thought that could happen. Mm-hmm. And then the ABA, obviously, you know, Dr. moved J. into the NBA, and Dr. J becomes a Philadelphia 76er. And that is what good organizations do. And you're looking at the PGA, like I said, their commissioner, whatever his name is, absolutely moronic. He should be looking at this as a great opportunity to somehow do business or find a way where certain tournaments are going to be played under LIV you know, plans and or contingencies and some are going to be played under PGA. I don't know if this happens would go for that, but to just shut the door on it and then double down and say you're going to ban these guys from all PGA Tour events, and you're just you're, you're digging yourself a grave, like I said. 
No doubt about it. I think we spoke on that pretty well. Um, you know, we these live golf events are honestly, Sean, they're only going to get better from here on out. I think how, often are, how often are they playing? I'm looking it up right now um, for you. I know we're headed out. We're me and you are headed out to Pumpkin Ridge, so in in Oregon. I picked up the tickets, put them on your card, but I figured I'd Venmo you. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Being that, I think the tickets were like six grand a pop. Um, I'll let you nice. know when I get paid. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, they, it looks like they're it looks like they're like a, kind of on a once a month basis the way it's going. Next one is in Portland. Um, like I said, at Pumpkin Ridge, of course I'd really like to play. I watched I watched a couple of videos on it just out of curiosity. Uh, July July thirtieth through June, excuse me, June thirtieth through July second. Then you got one at Bedminster. Uh, guess who owns it? Trump. July twenty ninth through the thirty first. Then you got one in Boston, going over where they're playing the U.S. Open this week, September second through the fourth. So it's looking like almost a little bit, a little bit closer together. They're going every two weeks here. Then you got Chicago. Then you got Bangkok. Hmm. Then you got Jeddah. I don't know where that is. Uh, uh, somewhere on the Red Sea uh, in October, and then you finish it off with your boy DT again in Miami in in late October. My boy, that's slander on this pod that I won't stand for. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's a pretty good that's a pretty good calendar right there, and there are obviously some of those tournaments are right around the last two majors. So Tom, yeah, and of I'll that, tell you what, they're going to be grabbing go some they're going to be grabbing some eyes because when the when the fall season of the PGA Tour comes into effect after the FedEx Cup and everything, they kind of just roll it right over. A lot of the good players don't play those tournaments, and it kind of turns into a drag, and they're going to grab some eyeballs, not to mention that I bet you a billion dollars. I bet you all the money that Live Golf has, they're going to grab Can you some... bet me the money that you put on my credit card for Pumpkin Ridge? I'll bet you that too, the twelve grand on that, that they're going to grab some better players as well. There we go. Oh, I'm sure they're not done. I'm sure they're not done. And the more success they have, and the more kinks they work out, the better. Because that's the thing, man. They have the money to, to make up for any flaws I, that they have. I just get the vibe that this is just going to – it's going to fall apart fast, man. It, it really is. Because, if you know, if a player if a player on the edge, teetering on the edge, that's a good-name player that falls out of the top one, whatever it is, to get into the FedEx Cup playoff, maybe he just jumps right over to live. I think you're going to see a lot of that. Uh, after this week when the tournaments, you know, when the regular PGA Tour tournaments shake out. And I, I just think, you know, at the beginning you're like, oh, maybe in a couple of years. I think this is going to crumble a hell of a lot faster to where the PGA Tour is going to have to attempt to take some real action. No, you're right. Uh, they certainly are not going to be successful if they continue to operate under, you know, the course of action they're at right now. Like, there's just no way. Because they can't compete with oh, that money. Oh, you nothing? Yeah, they can't compete with the prize money, and they can't compete with the, eventually the quality of players. There's just going to be so lopsided in favor of the live that you're just, you know, eventually what do you have to sell to your fans? Absolutely I mean, fucking nothing. Here's what's going to happen. They've got the other league, the PGL, which isn't associated with Saudi golf. I don't know who is investing in it, but it's kind of a similar layout. And I'm thinking the PGA is going to end up partnering with them for certain tournaments where it's a limited field, it's no cuts guaranteed, the big boys are going to be in there, it's going to be awesome, because um, they're going to be able to plan it better with the golf and everything, 
and that's how they're going to end up saving the version, whatever version of the PGA still remains, because the there is no physical way possible the way that business is currently run to be able to get that much money in there. No sponsor, no whatever is going to pay, you know, billions and billions of dollars. So they're going to have to go in with an investor. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. There, there's, there's, this is going to be a very, very long process uh, with a lot of moving parts. And I'm excited to see what ends up happening because I mean, shit, man, outside of the majors, PGA is not going to be able to compete with anything, and that's eventually they're going to be it's shit or get off the pot time. You know, that's exactly what it's going to come down to. But we do have the U.S. Open this weekend, Tom, in Brookline, Massachusetts, with all the star power. I think outside of Tiger, right? Tiger's not playing in this tournament. No, uh, and this is kind of what we both hope for, right? Save it up for the Open, which is the 150th. I think I said 100th last weekend. I shortchanged them by 50 years. It's the 150th U.S. Open at St. Andrews. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna empty he's gonna empty it all out for that. I think so. um, all right, this is your time to shine again, man. Preview this U.S. Open for us. What's the course looking like? How do you look at the foursome? Who's your pick? All of that stuff. I think, again, this course is another course where a top-class player is going to win it. I don't think you're going to see you know, a random guy coming out and winning a major. I think it's going to be top-of-the-line players. It's a, it's not a long course, but it's got some – I mean, I watched a bunch of videos on it. This course feels like it's it can only be built in a place like where we grew up, where there's the rock – jutting out everywhere and then there's fairway and it's just it's a gorgeous looking course let me tell you but it's going to be tough and it's going to require some really good short game and the rough's grown up real thick i watched a video of max homa joking around out there and i mean he he i hope he lifts some weights earlier because to pull that ball through is going to be tough um I've got again at twenty-five to one. I've got a bet in on uh, Will Zalatoris to win overall. I'm gonna go with the smart place here, not with the heart place. Um, just to try and make our, our listeners some money. I did get that bet in as you were talking for the for the Warriors. I got the Warriors money line parlayed with um, with the over. So if anybody wants to go ahead and take that, um, I don't know Good if I'm gonna be able you. to get the tweet out, uh, but it, you know. I'll try and get it out before the game starts. Tip-offs in about 10 minutes. Um, and then my other my other three to add to the – Patrick Cantlay, 22-1. to 1. Fuck you, Patrick Cantlay. Go to live. Sorry. I, you know I don't like him. I can't – I know. You're not a fan. I can't control that. No. Honestly, I'm going to – if, if there was a way to short that bet, I would. Um, the second guy I'm going to add in this one – is Shane Lowry. I mean, former major winner over at the Open, and I just think this course, he's such a good ball striker. He's got the softest hands on the planet. I don't know that from experience, but that's what I've heard. He's got some really soft set of hands. I was going to say, you have inside really, information here? He can really chip the ball, I, I think. Another guy I'm looking at, I feel like I pick him for every major to, to finish in the top 20, that's Cameron Smith. I mean, the guy's short game is incredible. i gotta, I got to file this away because I'm going to put some bets in. And then my fourth guy, believe it or not, is Dustin Johnson. Nice. I just think Dustin Johnson just doesn't give a fuck, man. He doesn't. I really – I and, and I feel like a lot of people in this world – 
could use a little bit of Dustin Johnson's personality, you know? And I feel like it would be a much more mellow place. I respect how, like, apathetic he is to certain things. You know, like, he's got got his life. He's got Paulina. Like, he plays fucking great golf a lot of the time. And he's made a lot of money, and he's making even more now with the live. And he just doesn't care what anybody says about him. I really do respect that. You have to. And, I mean, honestly, I think that when he put out that statement that he was committed to the tour, first of all, that was before Live Golf threw whatever they did, $220 million at him. And I think the tour typed up that for him and just sent it to him in an email, and he was probably on a fucking bender and missed the email, and they just put it out for him. I don't even believe he, he even knew what that email said, so I, I don't even care about what that because I know he doesn't care. Um, nope. I need you. I need you, Sean. Can you give me one, maybe two? I mean, we're, we're are we bumping you up to two, or are you sticking with one? Well, I'm looking at Scotty Scheffler. Oh God, you're riding him, huh? I've had success with him in the past, so I'm going to keep that up. Um, and honestly, I'm going to I'm going to look at Tony Fee now as well. He, he showed up pretty well in Canada, finishing at minus six. Um, so I'm going to roll with him. I, I was thinking about Rory, but you, the way you were talking about how he's just—he's not going to play well after winning his previous tournament a week, uh, uh, you know, a week apart. So I'm going to stay away from that. So I'm looking at Scheffler and Tony Fina. I like those picks. I mean, you know how you know how ecstatic I'd be if Tony Fina could just really silence the haters. I know. Well, he came close, I guess, this past weekend, and you know, Justin Thomas—he's played really well late too. Um, but I'll, I'll stick with those two for now. Big bet for me right now that I'm looking at parlay. If you can get plus odds for it, I haven't checked cause I'm getting the fucking location thing again. Shane Lowry parlay him with Cameron Smith to both finish in the top 20. I guarantee you cash that in. Listen, man, especially if you hit tonight on this warriors bit on this warriors bet, whoo. My coworker with the Ben Roethlisberger take just texted me and said, Plus twelve hundred, Draymond making two threes. I think he's going to hit it. <laughs> is he going to take two threes? Is the question. I, I'm. I don't care the equity that he has to build up to make one decent sports point to me after that Roethlisberger one. It, it's going to be a long time. Hey, if he hits this one, he'll be he'll be comfortably moving towards it though. Nah. That would be a huge get. And I might, honestly, at, at plus 1,200. That would be, just I, because of how bad he's been. I might throw a 10 spot on that just just out of the craziness of it. You know what will happen is if, if the Warriors get up to a really nice lead and they're feeling themselves and Boston's starting to crumble a little bit like we've seen in, in some of these games and Draymond takes a couple open threes, that building will go absolutely apeshit. So... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Maybe it, maybe two, you know, maybe I, I bet maybe he'll hit one late in the shot clock where it's just a heave, which is pretty much all he can make now. And maybe he'll get one as a trailer in transition when they're when they're you know he's like, oh, this one's gonna knock the top off the building. I'm fucking in for it, man. Let's I'm see. Doing it. But that Roth, that Roethlisberger take is is still all time bad, uh, and that's coming from a guy that picked uh, that picked Cousins to win MVP, so. Yeah, you've got some good. You got some bad. You've definitely got a lot more equity built up, though. Yeah, I mean, I picked a guy that 
you know, had had really good years in Washington and, and just got the largest contract guaranteed. I didn't take a guy who hadn't really been good in the league in five years. Um, yeah. So I'll die on that hill. But anyway, Tom, I think we got to go because tip-off is about to start. And, hey, maybe some people throw on the pod while you have the game on. Why not? Yeah, you don't need the announcers. But everybody enjoy the game. Hopefully I can make you a little bit of cash. And that's about it. You know, it's it's a big week. Finals we got this week, and they're gonna that's gonna end no matter what. And we got the U.S. Open this week. Let's get a little excited. We need some juice. And the Yankees are great. And I was just gonna say, and the baseball teams are great. Tom, real fast, this starts a good stretch for the for the Yanks. They're they're three versus Tampa starting tomorrow, then three at Toronto, three at Tampa, and then four versus Houston. Let's what a week, go. man! What a week! Well, we could either we could either come on this pod. Well, I could come on this pod broke and miserable, or we could come on both <laughs> very happy. So we'll have to see how it goes. I like option two the best, although you can be hysterical when you're on your down, when you're a little down. But I, I'm I'm rooting for you. Let's I'm save that for, for football pod, season. So let's huh? go. Yeah, we'll have enough negativity come football season. Yeah. All right, well, everybody enjoy the week. We'll talk to you probably on Mike Phillips' pod tomorrow, but then we'll talk to you on our pod. I don't know when, but we'll see. Yeah, who knows when we'll pop up. We'll see. We'll see how everything's shaping out. All right, everybody. Yeah.